This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Bail hearings in the news a lot lately. How do they work? What do you need to know? Also, the online abuse and harassment of women in politics. You've heard the stories. It's absolutely horrible. How can we stop it? Plus, Edmonton renters concerned as more Facebook groups show up. These are blacklists. Don't rent to this person. And that's it. Freedom Convoy organizer Tamara Leach uh, in court today for her bail hearing. She was arrested last week for breaching bail. And just following along with some of the reporters on Twitter who are in um, court this morning following this bail hearing. It sounds like um, what the police are saying she did to breach was to come into contact and spend time with other people that she was told she was not supposed to be in contact with as part of her bail. Um, other people that were involved in the convoy. That was part of her bail conditions. From what I understand, don't be in contact with other convoy organizers. And they're presenting social media, pictures and things like that showing that she was. And so they're uh, applying to have her breached on her bail conditions. But I mean, we're talking talking a lot of things here that I don't know how much I understand. And I've covered all kinds of court cases over the years. It's not a lot of bail hearings. So let's get some of the details on how bail works and, um, you know, what, how we get to this point, how you get breached, all these sorts of things. So we're going to chat now with uh, Melina Yanakoulias, who is a Legal Aid Alberta team lead for the Justice of the Peace bail team. Um, Melina, thanks so much for joining us. Did I get your name right? Absolutely. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us. I appreciate it. Okay, when we talk about bail, I think most of us understand what it is, is you're charged with a crime and before you go to trial, you go before a judge and they decide whether or not you can wait to go to trial in the community or you have to stay in jail. Is it really that simple? Well, it, it, it could certainly get complicated. So um, what a bail hearing is, is within 24 hours of you being arrested on, a, on charges that have been laid against you, um, you have the right to be put before a justice of the peace or a judge in order to speak to your release. Now, um, that's a, a requirement that you are put before them, but of course the timing of the hearing is up to you. You want to be able to have that hearing when strategically you have got the best release plan in place. Um, most most matters are, are it's a very simple um, release plan that you could come up with. These were uh, you know conditions. Um, the more uh, severe and the more uh, greater concern for public safety, of course, that increases mm-hmm. um, the conditions you may be put under. Um, but you only get one chance to speak to bail, so it is it is a very important process and it's very timely. Um, it certainly uh, should be taking place very quickly um, after your arrest. But if you need time to be able to put your bail plan together, you actually get to choose the time that you go ahead with your actual hearing. Okay, so there's, it's not a situation. I always thought it was you get arrested and, you know, you get processed and then you appear before a judge to be charged and, um, and apply for bail. You, you're sort of in control of when that happens? 
Uh, well, when you speak to your bail hearing. So certainly um, you're not in control of when you get arrested or charged. No, right. Yeah. Uh, but but once, once that happens and you're in police custody, they have 24 hours in order to present you to the Justice of Peace and, or, or to a judge to be able to speak to your release. That's where a legal aid uh, program comes into place. We, we contact people straight across Alberta and provide free legal advice uh, to all individuals who are arrested. Um, it, you're certainly able to have private counsel as well, but we do make that service available. Um, and we do assist people in putting together bail plans. We negotiate with the Crown in order to come up with those conditions. And we put those matters before just the peace within a 24-hour time frame uh, to have those people have the opportunity to speak to their release. Um, if it's more strategic to wait, we may put that off. Now, Melina, like you say, you get one shot at this. Do you find a lot of people walk in there unprepared and just sort of winging it and don't put together that plan and then find themselves in a position where they don't get bail when they probably would have if they'd spoken to somebody? Certainly. I think that people put a lot more... um belief in their own abilities to be able to talk their way out of a a situation, which may mean that they're speaking about the offense, they may be admitting or uh, speaking about matters that will come later and and, uh, be used against them. So certainly uh, putting... People don't often understand the the bail process and what is needed, uh, what the priorities are for the court to know that the community is safe, as opposed to whether they maybe don't agree with the charges, maybe they want to argue that they've got a child or a dog or you know, a job that they need to get back to, um, where the concerns over uh, the justice piece are things like, are you stable? Do you have a home? Do you have a job? Um, are we safe to release in the community? Are there conditions we can put on you to ensure the community is safe as well? And, and rem- remembering the whole time that this person has only been charged, they've not been convicted, and they do have uh, the the right to uh the the release immediately because they are not convicted of any offenses as of yet. Those conditions, I mean, are they pretty standard? Does everybody get the same or does it get, you know, changed depending on who the person is and what the offense is? And can you make an argument as to this condition is fair and this one isn't? I mean, how do the conditions of your bail work? Absolutely. The conditions um, go back to the the reason that you were arrested. So um, you wouldn't get conditions that have no bearing on, on the reason you were before the court that day. So they should go back to the, the reason you were arrested. They should go back to uh, real concerns over safety in the community. Um, so if your offense is against a particular person, you may have conditions to have no contact with that person. Um, those conditions are put in place um, in order to assure public safety and, and, and that things are relationships and things like that are cooled down for a period of time. Now, conditions that are put in place, we can always debate those, and it's ultimately up to the just the peace or judge as to whether those conditions are put in place. So you do get that opportunity to argue. Those become legal arguments, um, which is another reason why it's so important to have a lawyer uh, assisting you on those matters as well. When you talk about breaching bail conditions and things like that, I mean, uh, how, how does that happen? I mean... <sighs> How how is it sort of enforced? Okay, here are the conditions of your bail. Here's the conditions that you must follow once you're released. Who? How is that enforced? I mean, are you tracked? Are you? I mean, it sounds like in this case it's social media, and there was you know there's an award ceremony that the person attended. But in a typical case, how how can you be held accountable for breaching your bail conditions? Well, uh, 
once there is evidence that you've done so. Uh, so, of course, when you're released, you are, it's a promise and, a, and you're swearing a document that you will keep those conditions. So, for example, if you promise to keep a curfew and the police find you out after curfew, you've breached your release condition. Now, when you breach a release condition, that forms a new criminal code charge. So it's a new criminal offence to breach your conditions. And as well, you'll be arrested again, go through the process again and have to be speak to your bail again. Um, now, if that happens, I, I wouldn't think it would happen on the first time, but perhaps if somebody is chronically breaching those conditions, you may get to the point where the, the Crown makes an application to revoke all bail you're on. Some people are on multiple charges from perhaps multiple jurisdictions. The Crown may get to a point where they want to make an application to the court that they take away all of those bail releases, and you now have to speak to bail anew, but the judge, or there would be a judge at that point, uh, has to hear all of the offenses that you're you're on release on and that may make your release much harder as well if you breach your release even if it's once um your release form will increase in severity so you might just get out on a promise to appear then they may add um conditions to it then they may add um financial promises to it then they may actually release you on a cash bail which is the highest form of release so it will increase in severity if you're breaching Bottom line here, I guess, Melina, is don't don't try and walk into court. You know, I mean, there's there's assistance available like you, uh, and you'd be very smart to reach out and access that that help, right? Absolutely, and even even to say reach out, we're we're an active team, and we actually call we uh, all detachments when they're holding somebody. We get a list of where they are in Alberta, and we actually will call out um, once the crown is ready to proceed. We call out and we start uh, working with our clients and, and starting making solutions for their release at that time. Um, so we make ourselves available. It's not even a matter that you have to search us out. Excellent. Okay. Melina, great information. Thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely. Have a good day. You too. That is Melina Yanakoulias, who is a Legal Aid Alberta team lead for the Justice of the Peace bail team. You know, frankly, I have absolutely no idea why anybody would want to be in politics these days. Uh, to call it a hostile environment would be, well, it would be a, it'd be a gross understatement is what it would be. Uh, it is straight up toxic. Um, and if you're a woman, well, then it just goes up several levels. It's beyond anything that anyone should consider remotely acceptable in a civilized society. You know, Mike Tyson famously said that uh, social media has made a lot of people really comfortable saying things to people that, used to get them punched in the mouth. And and there's far too many people out there that are more than willing to use that to their full advantage. And, you know, I mean, back in the day when it used to be a thing, I'd read you some of the texts that we get here. um, And, you know, sometimes other journalists and politicians and celebrities will post uh, some of the absolutely vile things that get sent to them. Anybody in public life, uh, I mean, it's just, it's, it's par for the course now. It's, it comes with the territory, sadly. Not excusing it, not saying it's okay. It's, it's horrible. But as I said, um, having worked with a number of women in public life, I know <laughs> what they get compared to what I get is night and day. And I know in speaking with female politicians in the past, it is absolutely horrible. If you take a look at what 
our community, our society is like right now when it comes to politics. It's toxic, right? I mean, if 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 the guy is wearing a different T-shirt than you wear, um, it's full. They're the enemy, and, and for some people, it's seek and destroy. And um, so that just happens as a natural course of the way politics is handled right now. And when gender comes into it, it, it gets to another area that really and truly is awful. So. Um, in the end, we all suffer, right? Because good people just take a look at this environment and say, I want nothing to do with this. Absolutely nothing. So there's a lot of really good men, and more so, I would say, women, who just say, forget it. I don't, I don't need to invite that into my life. It's crazy. And we lose out because some people who might be really good for us um, just say, yeah, sorry. I don't want to be part of that. So um, there's been some work done around this, and we're going to chat with one of the people behind that work. Dr. Heidi Torek is a Canada Research Chair and an Associate Professor in International History and Public Policy at the University of British Columbia. She joins us now. Uh, Dr. Torek, thanks so much for your time. I appreciate you joining us. Thanks so much for having me, Shay. You know, I think it's definitely a situation where we see people just deciding they don't want to get involved. But I think, you know, in, in Canada, we have this opinion, well, just that, that can't be true. Take a look at all the female politicians that we have. And we have some, but um, when, you, when you stack up the numbers and you've done this, so what does your work show in terms of how far down that road we've gone and how much farther we need to go? Yeah, so it shows us that in the federal elections of 2019 and in 2021, we did have record numbers of women entering into parliament. So that sounds great. But then when we look at the actual numbers, what we see is it went up from 98 to 103 women. So now we're at only 30.5% of uh, MPs in parliament are currently women. And if we look at that in a global ranking, yeah. Canada ranks 59th in the world in terms of the percentage of, of women. So below Cameroon, Chile, Spain and Senegal, just to name uh, four other countries. So there's really a long way to go. And we know there's a number of barriers, right? There's a number of reasons that we have uh, underrepresentation of women in politics. And some of it isn't social media, but some of it is. Yes, there are all sorts of researchers, of course, who are looking into this and they show there are, there are multiple reasons why women don't go into politics or why when they run, they, they don't win. So one is uh, women perhaps getting put into less winnable ridings. Another is things like parental leave yep. policies or difficulties in commuting. But then the area that I've obviously looked at is really trying to pin down what is the role of online abuse and harassment on social media that might be preventing women from entering into politics, from winning or from wanting to stay in politics? Even well? get, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you did this around the 2019 election, studying the, uh, well, what all politicians, not just women, are exposed to. Just tell us about what you found out, uh, you know, sort of in the broader scheme of things, the bigger picture, and then we'll drill down on it after that. But in terms of what you saw during the 2019 campaign, what did you see? Yeah, so what we wanted to do was rather than just focusing on a couple of candidates, we decided to look at every single person who was a political candidate from any party in the election. And we used um, something called a fire hose where we took down every tweet that was directed at anybody who was a political candidate. And then we developed a model to classify whether those tweets were positive. So praising, uh, neutral, discussing policies could be robust, but discussing policies and then low, medium or high negativity, which meant attacking somebody's identity. So that was really important to us to say robust political discussion is when we debate issues, when we get into negativity is when we're attacking the person because of their identity. And, and perhaps no surprise, given your introduction, um, only 7% of the, the million tweets that, that we had were actually positive. 
Um, there were obviously some that, that were neutral, but 40% of them were negative in some way. And 16% of them were highly negative, which means very abusive. We think things like death threats, rape threats, et cetera. So um, over double the number were highly abusive than were positive. When you spoke with the people who were receiving these threats and some of their reaction, what did they have to say? Did it make them reconsider, you know, being part of it? Did some people just say, you know what, I, I don't need this? Yeah, so that's the other thing that we did in our research was um, not just to look at the tweets, but also to really speak to people because sometimes numbers don't tell you how people react to them, what they right. feel and what their plans are afterwards. So we spoke to both people who were um, candidates, current politicians, and also their staff, which told us a great deal as well, because often staff are young people who are thinking about becoming maybe MPs in the future. So we found that there were all sorts of ways in which um, women were very discouraged about politics. So ways in which they were abused, um, where they felt that, especially when they spoke out on issues, they got even more abuse, where they worried that certain topics weren't being discussed as much. And we saw staffers as well who'd originally thought about going into politics, seeing the sort of abuse that was heaped on the person they were working for, then saying, you know what, <laughs> this might not be for me. And that's really worrying in terms of the, the pipeline and trying to get to a place where we have politicians who represent the diversity of the Canadian population. Um, how can we fix this? Can we fix this? I think there's a whole host of things that, that we can do. There is no, unfortunately, silver bullet. But one of the first things we can do is pay attention to this kind of research. It's not anecdotal, as I said. It's, it's based on all of the political candidates of the, the 2019 elections. That's the first thing. We've got the solid research basis to say when one politician says it's happening, it's actually not anecdotal. It really is something that, that we're seeing more broadly on social media. And then we need to get a whole suite of, of solutions going at the same time. Uh, one is, is, of course, unfortunately, preparing political candidates, making sure before they even go out on a campaign trail, they know this is a possibility. They've got their policies in place. Second, that they're backed by their political party as well. You need resources uh, to be able to deal with some of the horrific situations that happen online. Thirdly, individual users. You know, we, we also have power over what we post, what we retweet. Taking a pause, it turns out, other research tells us, very important in terms of ensuring that we just don't dump on someone without thinking. And then, of course, there are the social media platforms themselves whose algorithms are really designed for engagement, right? They don't yeah. care whether that engagement is anger, fear, happiness, etc. cetera. Uh, what they want is engagement. And if anger and hatred is what's driving engagement, they're going to encourage that. And so what we need is also online regulation that gets us more transparency from platforms to understand what's happening, more responsiveness when we have terrible things that are um, akin to rape threats, death threats. We see this happening. Social media platforms don't respond fast enough. And then obviously in Canada's, in many other countries, we're thinking about other ways of of regulating platforms to get them to do much broader risk assessments in terms of what's happening online. When we talk, I mean, and I'm, not, I'm sure you're not surprised by this. Um, I'm getting texts from listeners. So why are you making this about women? Everybody gets this. Yes, everybody does get this. And I think we've done a pretty good job, Doc, of saying everybody does get this. But women get worse and more often. I mean, you have the stats to back that up. I mean, it's just a fact. Right. And we see one of the, the things that, that we see is, of course, that, that some of this is also correlated with prominence, right? The more prominent you are, the more followers you have, 
the more pushback you're yeah. going to get as well. But the other important thing, I think, is the type of pushback. So that's one of the important things we were distinguishing, right, is that often um, what women or other marginalized groups, LGBTQ is, is another example, are often getting attacks that are identity-based, right? So it's not people saying they don't like a policy, maybe using a swear word. We're really talking about things like um, with journalists, for example, there was a survey that was done uh, last year of journalists which found that female journalists were six times more likely to get threats of rape or sexual assault than male journalists. So these are the sorts of things that, that we know from also other professions as well. It's not that men don't get attacked. We right. obviously found that in our research, but the, the type of attacks, the quality, the effect that they then have in terms of whether people want to keep going with these professions, these are the things that, that we see coming out of this research. Absolutely. Well put. Uh, Dr. Twork, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate you joining us. really interesting story. It's been kicking around for a while now. Um, uh, It's it's been a a major topic of discussion after it came to light that hundreds, hundreds of Edmonton renters have been blacklisted by local landlords. It's a Facebook group. A couple of them, in fact, uh, with do not rent lists with literally hundreds and hundreds of prospective tenants on there or people they've rented to before for that's the thing who knows how they ended up on this list that's definitely part of the concern but uh you know people are saying well i may never be able to rent a place if i show up on this list Uh, what about privacy concerns there's a lot of issues around this so to get into a bit we're going to chat now with donna monkhouse who is the executive director of the alberta residential landlord association donna thank you so much for joining us today i really appreciate your time Thank you. So these do not rent lists, um, was this uh, a surprise to you? Was this news to you as well? See, these landlord Facebook groups have been around for a long time. So, you know what, you see them, I ignore them. I'm not a fan of them. There's a lot of misinformation on them. Um, I I know that people have gone in there that are members that say, hey, contact Arla, you know, contact Alberta Residential Landlord Association. They'll help educate you, uh, those kind of things. But they've been around a while. Um, The blacklist I haven't seen until recently. Maybe it's because I haven't been paying attention. But just until recently, and there's a lot, a lot of members in those groups. Yeah, there's a ton of members in those groups. Yeah. Um, You know, I, I guess some of the concerns, you as a member of the landlord, Association. What what are what are your concerns in terms of having a list like this? Like you say, there there's no controls on this. There's nothing in any official capacity. Is that something that bothers you? Oh, huge! It does. It violates the tenants' rights, and it's not legal if you don't have their permission. So um, it it may not even be accurate. So you're you're blacklisting tenants that it may not even be accurate. What was that one lady who said on the on the news there that that was her name? It's a common name, right? Yeah. You don't even know what you're checking. So it's 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 just not accurate. And who's checking their resources? Like who's checking out the backgrounds on these? Are you looking at pictures? Like, come on, <laughs> you can do a lot of pictures. Yeah, and you can, and you know, this can be really damaging to people too, right? Yeah. Who desperately need a place yeah. to live and just find up they're on this list and that's it. They're shut out. Yeah. Exactly. Well, we're, we're a landlord association, so I advocate for the landlords and educate landlords. So that's who we are, but I also believe in following the rules. So the RTA sets out really clearly the rules landlords and tenants must abide by. And, and if you're not going to follow those, then don't be a landlord. Just don't. I'm getting a lot of texts here from people saying, good, there should be a list. Why shouldn't there be a list? If you're not a good renter, you should end oh. up on a list. Why? What's the problem with the list? Why not have a list, Donna? 
because this might not be accurate. Exactly. It might not be accurate. There's other ways to check. That's what I wanted you to know. Like, how can you do that? How can you do this in a, in a responsible way? Well, firstly, A, do your, do your checks before you move the tenant in. Do your checks, okay? Do your reference checks. Make sure you do credit checks. Make sure you get permission to do these checks from them. Ask for their two past landlords. Do all that. There's public records. You can search the public records, the courthouse, the RTDRS. You can search records to see if their name's in there. If you get an order as a landlord, file it. File it so it gets put on TransUnion and Equifax. So... When somebody else comes along, they pull a credit check and they see right away, oh, this person owes so-and-so a lot of money. Oh, this person shows me an address that doesn't match an address they gave me as a reference. So, so there are ways to do your checks and balances on that. If you put an order, get an order, do your inspections regularly on the unit. If there's any red flags like unpaid rent, go and check right away. Don't wait. Give them an eviction. Go right away. If they want to pay, they'll pay. Then the eviction's null and void. But there are good ways to do this. You know, do your checks and balances. Shaming is, is not an answer in my mind. It's just not right. It's not right. And, and I know a lot of people that have been in that, that position. And now they're better off. So if they're on that list, I feel sorry for them. Yeah, you make a good point. Some people find themselves at a hard point in their life and get mm-hmm. put on that list. And 10 years later, things have completely changed. And lo and behold, yes. they're still on the list, right? Yes, absolutely. It, so when you talk about, I mean, is short of having a blacklist, which really that's what this is, um, as landlords, like you say, there are responsible ways. But what if you've just got a really lousy tenant? They pay their rent, um, but they, you know, maybe they do damage or, I mean, the different things that may not show up on a credit check. Is there a way of not, I, I guess it is creating a list. Is there a way of doing this officially, properly, and legally? If, if you call their references, the past two places they've lived, if you're not satisfied with those or, or they don't give you a good enough answer or you feel, you know, a lot of people go on feeling as well, too, my gut says, right? If you don't feel comfortable, do your inspections monthly. Say, by the way, I'm going to drop by every month. Are you okay with that? You know, do your inspections. Make sure the unit's being maintained well-kept. But do your reference checks. Do the checks and balances on the tenant. You're going you're gonna to have issues. Trust me, I hear them all the time. There's going to be issues. You know, landlords aren't going to... That's right. They're, they're not going to be able to collect rent. Tenants can do... And there's an average eviction rate sometimes up to $9,000. That's the average. So landlords lose by the time they get it to court. Sometimes it's three months out. So it takes time, and they lose a lot of money. So... Um, you know, it's like tenants need to be good, too. Like, treat it as your home and, and let the landlords do their due diligence. Yeah, makes Black sense. Blacklisting is not going to tell you a whole story. Like, it, it's just not. And and you know what? I mean, I don't know how, how what percentage it would be, but there could be cases where somebody's got an axe to grind for a reason that has nothing to do <laughs> with their quality as a tenant and throw them on this list. Yeah, yeah, that could happen. You're right. Yeah. It could very well happen. You know, so if, if somebody on there is, is doing the proper checks, are they filing it with the credit bureau? Um, are you doing, you know, are you doing it proper? Then, then that's fine, right? But it's not. It's like somebody shows a bunch of pictures or hashtags, don't rent to this person. I get those calls all the time. Do you have a list? No, we don't have a list. Right. I don't have a list, but but there are places you can call. You can check it out. I have people that call me today that I rented to years ago that say, hey, Donna, I I just went to buy a house and my name showed up on the credit bureau as owing where you used to work. Right. And I would go then pay the bill. 
So it does come back, right? Yeah, I mean, there's a way of doing it responsibly. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't think a blacklist is the way to do it. I just think it's a privacy issue. Um, it, there's, uh, like I said, a lot of a lot of people I know could very well be on that list. They're not bad people today. They're good people. Just ran into some hard luck. Like I have landlords come in now that have had the same tenant for four or five years. All of a sudden, it's a problem. Why? Change in change in relationship status. Maybe they had. Um, maybe something happened. You know, there's issues, right? There's things happen. Yeah, exactly. And circumstances change. Um, Donna, thank you so much. Great insight. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening today. To hear any of our other interviews, you can find them wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to rate and review us.